29. Church, what would you say is the highest calling one could ever receive? Perhaps some of you would say that being called to serve in the medical field is the highest calling. Why? Because you have the opportunity to influence, to help so many people. For others of you, you might say, no, 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 the highest calling one could ever receive is to be a teacher. Because a teacher, it's, he's, the teacher is able to influence a younger generation, which will remember what that teacher has given them for years to come. I would submit to you this morning that full-time Christian ministry is the highest calling one could ever receive. But let's be honest. All of us have not been called to serve as a pastor. All of us have not been called to, to preach the scriptures. John Wycliffe, the English morning star of the Reformation, wrote this, The highest calling or service that men may attain to on earth is to preach the word of God. Now, I would agree with that sentiment by Sir Wycliffe, but we also understand that not all have been called to serve in this capacity. In our passage today, we see that the Apostle Paul, to some of you, you might think he's the greatest Christian to ever have lived, one of the most productive Christians. The Apostle Paul found great joy in being a minister of Christ. To Paul, this was the greatest calling that one could ever receive, was to be a minister. Now, that word minister is interesting, because as a verb, that, that word minister simply means to attend to the needs of someone. Really, from a human perspective, this is not a prestigious position. It's not a lofty position. As a minister, one is truly a servant. The gospel ministry in its various forms is the highest call possible. We are called to ministry this morning. You and I are called to ministry no matter our vocation. I would submit to you this morning that as we examine Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29, that God calls you and I to minister to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Really, if you had to sum up the, this, this, this passage, you would say Paul has been commissioned by God to minister to the Colossians. But more direct, you and I have been called to minister to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29. As we dig into this text today, I want us to keep this idea of ministering at the forefront of our minds. And as we approach this passage, I want us to see three commands that are found within the text that are given to you and I as we minister to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're there in Colossians 1. Will you join me actually at the very end of verse 23, where he says this, Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest, it's been revealed to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? That we may present every man 
perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. A short passage, but a really deep passage. There's a lot there. So God has called you and I to, to minister to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But how can we do that effectively? That's really the question today. How can you and I minister to each other effectively? I would submit to you, first off, that you and I must minister with the right attitude. That's the first command that we see here. You and I must minister with the right attitude. Look back in verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Doesn't that seem a little odd? Paul says he rejoiced in his sufferings. Paul's suffering brought good to the church. How could he make such a statement? Suffering hardly ever seems to bring us joy. In the midst of suffering, what we often experience and what we often expect, it's heartache. It's pain. It's loss. But Paul here says he rejoiced in his suffering. Uh, we need to understand something here, that the gospel has always spread through, through hardship. It's always spread through missionary hardship. Just think with me. We hardly ever hear of those who are immediately receptive to the gospel. Think of me about that coworker. Think of me about that friend of yours, even that family member who's not a Christian, who's not a believer. If we're, if we're being honest this morning, they are hardly ever receptive to the gospel. You know, if they're not in church, if they've never heard the gospel before, it's not that they immediately cling to it. It comes with hardship. Today, we do not hear often of those who immediately jump to accept the gospel, to believe in the gospel. And really, as I look around, this reality becomes more real. It does. All of us in here today, if we were to go around the room, all of us know of a family member or a friend that's not a believer. All of us know a co-worker who's, who's, who's probably not a Christian, not a believer. It's not hard to find those who are not believers. We, we all can probably name one person. We all could probably name five people. They may know that you are a Christian, but perhaps they've always been hesitant to hear what you have to say concerning Christianity. Have you ever had that feeling where it's like, man, I know I need to share the gospel. I know I need to invite this person to church. I'm just kind of hesitant. And you can tell that they're a little hesitant about bringing up that conversation. What seems to be the case more than not is that when we approach someone with the gospel, there's skepticism. Unfortunately, sometimes anger that comes along as a response to the gospel. Why do you think that is? Well, people do not like being told that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Um, I'm not a a communication expert by any means, but but I will tell you this. If you're trying to befriend someone, it's probably not a great idea for you to come up to them and say, hey, you're actually pretty ugly. Um, it's probably not a great idea to be like, hey, you know, I'd like to get to know you better, but you're actually pretty fat. You, know, you should lose some weight. I'm just going to throw this out there. You're probably not going to build a, a budding relationship with that person. Um, there's kind of like, whoa, okay, I know I'm fat, but I'm, I've just been getting that you know, thinning mirror. Okay, I'm not that fat. Okay, you, people don't want to hear the truth. That's what it boils down to. They don't want to hear the truth. So people sometimes are not receptive to the gospel because Guess what you're saying? Hey, guess what? You're really not that great. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. 
How then can Paul say that he is rejoicing in his sufferings? Have you ever read a passage of Scripture, like, for, for instance, this passage? And you're like, that, that doesn't really make much sense. And maybe you've done this uh, in your own personal devotions where it's like, wow, that doesn't make much sense. All right, well, let's go to the next verse. Uh, this is one of those verses where you just kind of scratch your head thinking he rejoices in his sufferings. Well, through experience, Paul came to understand that his suffering, it brought good to the church. Church, think with me about loved ones that you've lost in the past. Maybe it's, maybe it's recent. Maybe it's a while ago. During that time, it just hurts. To lose a, a, a parent, to lose a friend, in that time, it just hurts. How can I rejoice in the midst of this suffering? I mean, there's, there seems to be no good that comes from the situation. I know that we all have a beginning and an ending, but I didn't think that ending would be now. God, why couldn't it have been later? Yet when we look on it now, we can see some good that came from it. We don't appreciate losing that loved one, but perhaps it pulled us closer to God as a result of it. Perhaps you were able to to have the opportunity to mend some strained relationships as a result of a loved one passing on. You probably know of of siblings or or parents or spouses or, or, or family members or friends who've been pulled apart due to some kind of disagreement. And sometimes it's it's extremely sad, but also beautiful in the same moment that when someone passes, the people who would not once talk to each other, all of a sudden they're able to talk again. People who who once cannot stand each other, they're able to start mending those relationships. I truly believe that there's not much more beautiful than to hear of, uh, of loved ones being able to reconcile after years of feuding. Years of hardships. How wonderful it is to hear that and to see it. Suffering, sometimes suffering can end up bringing joy. So Paul here says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. If we were to take time and think about it this morning, we would admit that the suffering of a brother or sister in Christ, it actually is a great source of blessing to the church. It, it binds us together in prayer. It helps us to, to come more to God. It brings us closer to God. It, it draws us to God because we know that, hey, guess what? God is the one who can take care of this. God is the one who can comfort our hearts. Fellow Christian, maybe we should understand that sometimes God allows suffering in our life to pull us closer to him. Perhaps we should consider that when suffering comes into our life, it's sometimes to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Sometimes growth doesn't take place unless we're, we're nudged, unless we're kind of encouraged to do it. Think with me about, this is mentioned in Sunday school, but think with me about the life of Job. I don't know if you've read Job recently. It's not really a joyful book. Um, Job was one of the wealthiest men in all the East, And yet, he lost his children. He lost pretty much all of his wealth. Didn't seem to have many friends nearby. His relationship with his wife seemed strained. Um, Yeah, didn't seem to be going great for Job. Yet, when you come to the end of Job, it's not that Job's like, oh, I'm extremely happy now. But Job had a better view of God. What does he say? God giveth life, and he taketh it away. 
as Paul continues on in this passage, he makes it clear that the hardships that Paul endures in the course of his apostolic service, they're they're endured for their sake. Speaking to the Colossians here. Therefore, he can rejoice. Why? Because of the advantage that is accrued through the suffering to his converts. Kind of a, a great mindset to have. Oh, I'm, I'm, I can find joy in this because it's bringing you an advantage. I can find joy in my, in my suffering. I can find joy in my discomfort. I can find joy in my affliction because it's helping you. Now, we need to be careful as we read verse 24 of this passage, look with me, if you will, again. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Um, it appears here that Paul is stating that Christ's sufferings were insufficient. Last time we, we met together, we were talking about reconciliation. Okay? But it's, it's, it appears here that Paul's saying, hey, your sufferings were insufficient. Um, Let me ask you this question this morning. Were Christ's sufferings insufficient to save us? If your answer to that question is yes, then my question is, why are you here today? What hope do you have? Because it talks about the eternal hope that we have, which is Christ Jesus taking our place. So as he's saying, hey, your sufferings were insufficient for us. Um, Let's ask this question. Was, was, Was it necessary for Paul to suffer for the church and to remedy Christ's quote-unquote, defective sacrifice? Well, the answer is no. Uh, We need to understand something very important. Paul's sufferings allowed him to sympathize with his fellow believers when they suffered. Paul viewed his suffering as service while Christ's sufferings were a sacrifice. Meaning this, there was no need for a supplement. See, if you were to examine the present context, it rules out any suggestion that the reconciliation affected by the death of Christ needed to be supplemented. Paul and his fellow preachers, having themselves received of the peace, which through the blood of Christ's cross, now fulfill their ministry by presenting that peace for acceptance by others. But in the fulfillment of that ministry, they are exposed to sufferings for Christ's sakes. Their suffering, and these sufferings are their share in the afflictions of Christ. They suffered. I think that's why Christ said, hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. He doesn't make it sound like it's a pleasurable thing. It doesn't make it sound like it's an easy trip. It's not an easy road to go down. I think we can all admit this morning that serving God, it's not always easy. And if we're being honest, it's not always pleasurable. Hardships can come our way. And serving God can become very difficult. Here's kind of where I think we fall into a lot of times. Sometimes we allow ourselves to become so busy with church. We go to two or three services a week, which is great. But sometimes we just go to church just to do it, just to do it, just to do it, just so we can check it off the list and feel good about ourselves. Or we, or we do five, ten-minute devotions, or we, or we pray every day, um, and we just kind of check it off the list, check it off the list. But sometimes we don't even think about what we're doing. Sometimes we, we, don't, we, we don't understand that, hey, hardship is here. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to see that it's very difficult. Being a minister of God, it's not always easy. It's not always pleasurable. 
but it is worth it. It's not always easy, it's not always pleasurable, but it is worth it. Specifically, Paul is being commissioned by God to minister to these Colossians. But you and I today are being commissioned to minister to one another. I know that there's this view, and I'm not saying anyone here is guilty of that, but sometimes there's this view when we come to church, what can I get out of it? Well, they didn't sing a song I liked today, so service wasn't really that great. Or pastor was in this passage, I didn't really care for it. Sometimes we come to church thinking, what can I get, what can I get, what can I get, what can I get? And we forget that we are coming to worship the one true God. We are coming to focus on God. I I know sometimes we like to accommodate the services to meet my needs. We're simply coming here to worship. Being a Christian, being a minister is worth it. The Apostle Paul here, he did not suffer vicariously in propitiating the Father for the sins of mankind. Only Christ, the only begotten Son of God, accomplish that. And only Christ could satisfy the Father's wrath. Christ's sufferings were complete, they were adequate, and defectible. Now Paul suffered, but not instead, of, not instead of the church, but on behalf of the church and during the persecution entailed by preaching the gospel. If you look at the life of Paul, I don't know, it kind of seems like more often than not he was getting beaten. He was being rejected. And we think of Paul like, wow, Paul wrote however many books in the Bible. He was this great missionary. But you read of the life of Paul, you read of his missionary journeys, face a lot of hardships. I mean, they, they, they sought to stone him to death. They imprisoned him. I mean, kind of a difficult life. And as a leader, Paul bore the heaviest loads, heaviest of loads of these sufferings. But he rejoiced to do so. He rejoiced to do so. Because for Paul, it was a high privilege, it was a great honor to have him placed in the position which brings these sufferings on his head instead of on the church. Christian, you and I have been called a minister. I said that word minister simply means to, to meet the needs of someone. I hope you understand that as we come in here today, we, we, you've grown up, we've heard brother and sister in Christ for a thousand years, okay? I hope you, as you come in today that the person you're sitting down, from, down the pew from, you're here to minister to them. You're here to edify them. You're here to help them grow. It's not just what can I get out of it. We're here to, to show love to one another, to show Christ-like love to one another. As you minister, sufferings will come your way. But you can rejoice in the midst of sufferings, because we have the high privilege to, sh- to share the gospel to our families, to share the gospel to our friends, and to share the gospel to those around us. All that any Christian suffers is in a way for the benefit of the church, especially for that part of which he, is, he or she is personally connected. Paul rejoiced because the church was edified through his suffering. Do you have that same attitude? I don't know about you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when I go through suffering, okay, uh, a couple months ago, my boss dropped like a parking block on my finger and broke my finger, okay? Now, I, I didn't cry, but I promise I didn't. But, man, I, I, woe is me. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be lucky, Michelle, if I make it to age 26. He dropped this on my finger. Okay, 
I kind of exaggerated a little bit. It was, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. Um, I was just focused on me. Sometimes when we go through suffering, it's woe is me. Woe is me. Oh, my life is horrible. Everything's, everything's, everything's horrible. We get the Eeyore mentality. But maybe we should stop and think, wow. Yeah, I don't enjoy the suffering, but I can't rejoice in it. Because, hey, it encouraged my brother in Christ. Hey, it helped this person avoid that same pitfall. My parents used to say this. You know, They used to, 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 to say, hey, Ryan, you can't do that, or hey, you can't do that. And I used to think, wow, they, can't, they won't let me do anything. Okay? But the whole purpose of that was because they had made choices previously in life, and they didn't want me to make the same mistakes. They were trying to help me out. And so, yes, I suffered as, as a 12-year-old because I couldn't have a lollipop. But that was, that was for a purpose. They were looking out for me. You know, to minister effectively, you and I all have been called to minister. To minister effectively, you and I must minister with the right attitude. Suffering is a part of this life. That's why I think James says, count our joy when ye deal with temptation. Trouble will come in your life, but we can minister with the right attitude, which is to rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about how is the church edified? How is my family edified? How is my spouse edified? How is my fellow church member edified? You and I must minister with the right attitude, which is to rejoice in suffering. Secondly, verse 25 through 27, we see that you must minister not only with the right attitude, but with the right message. The right message. Verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul, Paul mentions that he has been given this dispensation, or if you want to describe it another way, dispensation simply means like administration. God had given Paul some responsibility. Therefore, he was to minister with the right message. This dispensation, this administration, it's the, it's the divine apostolic office given to Paul. What Paul had. What we need to be reminded of is that many have been brought to saving faith through Paul's service. The word of God is something to be transmitted and thus to fulfill it is to give what it wants, what it is for, namely to transmit it to those for whom it is intended. Paul was to administer the word of God, not the book of Paul, not polyology, okay? Paul was to administer the word of God. He was to share the word of God. He went to different places as a missionary, spreading the truth of God, the word of God. He was to make the word of God known. Whether or not you are a pastor, whether or not you are a teacher, you are also to make the word of God known. Hey, parents... You are to make God's word known to your children. Spouses, you're to make God's word known to your spouse. You know that's true as well for for us and our friends. We're to make the word of God known to those around us. What Paul is communicating here is, is that his desire and responsibility is to make the word of God fully known. To lay out God's word fully 
is the idea being communicated here. Let me ask you this question. How sad would it be for children in a Christian home to grow up and to never have a proper understanding of the gospel? Pretty sad. Actually devastating. If church is the only place where your children are receiving truth, I hate to break it to you, that's not enough. People cannot know Christ better without knowing the scriptures. People cannot know Christ better without knowing the scriptures. Preaching and teaching must open the word of God. The word of God is fulfilled in the sense when it is freely proclaimed in the world and accepted in faith. Thus, it achieves its purpose. All of us must be challenged to share the gospel to others through the opening up of God's word. Verse 26 Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. As Paul continues on in verse 26, he mentions a mystery. A mystery. This mystery was something that was intended to be revealed. Um, I don't know how many of you like to read, um, but perhaps you like reading a good mystery. Have you ever read a a, a mystery? And when you get to the end of the book, you're like, so wait, who did it? How did that happen? Um, Yeah, I feel like that would definitely happen if I were to write a book. Uh, but I'm reading uh, certain authors recently, and I'm like, oh, okay, they're not very clear. Okay, who did who did what? Who? Okay, they killed in the library. Oh no, they didn't die. Oh, that was the person who killed. You know, sometimes it can be very confusing. Uh, that's what we think of when we think of mystery. But here it's different. He mentions a mystery, the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. This mystery was something that was intended to be revealed. This mystery was something. Hitherto concealed, but now revealed. God may know his purpose to the prophets of old, but he withheld from the prophets one vital piece of information, namely the time when his purpose would be fulfilled. He said, hey, I'm sending a redeemer. I'm sending one in my place. I'm, I'm sending a redeemer. They didn't know when. There were some details, but what was his mystery? The answer to the mystery was this, that, God's saving purpose was extended to the Gentiles. You see, if you want to minister effectively, yes, you must have the right attitude, but you must minister with the right message. We need to understand that, that Christ died for both Jew and Gentile. And we need to rejoice in that because guess what? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. That's probably many of us in here today. But to know that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, it's for the entire world, is something that should bring us great joy. When Christ came, the middle wall was broken down between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews and the Gentiles became together a new man, establishing peace. The mystery being spoken of here was the inclusion of the Gentiles. Do you realize how wonderful this is? It was once believed that Christ came to rescue the Jews only from eternal separation from God. That would be really disheartening because, hey, if you're not Jewish, guess what? You're not, you're, not part. you're not part of it. God didn't come to save you. He just came to save this one group of people. Yet we need to understand that Christ's death on the cross was enough to satisfy the Father's wrath concerning the sins of the Jews and the sins of the Gentiles. Believer, that's you and me. As we minister, we must minister 
with the right message, which is that God's divine plan of rescue, salvation, extends to both Jew and Gentile. And what a blessing that is for you and I. In verse 27, we see that God chose to make known how great the glory of this mystery was. Gentiles who were once aliens were now able to become the children of God. Last time we met in verse 21, it says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Hey, that's you and me. We were once alienated. But he came to die for both Jew and Gentile. That's the, that's the answer to the mystery. The indwelling of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ is what made this miracle possible. One of the greatest glories of the gospel is that it brings people who are different from each other together. Now, if you've ever seen a family, you understand, okay, they all look the same, they all kind of act the same, okay, I see how you came together, okay? But if, maybe you've walked into a church before, like, are we all in the same, are we all supposed to be here? Have you ever looked around thinking, wow, everyone looks so different, everyone comes from different backgrounds? That's the beauty of the gospel, is that it unites us, okay? Brian over here can be a New York Giants fan, and I can be a Dallas Cowboy fan, and that's okay. We can get together, and we can get along. Um, it's okay. That's one of the greatest glories of the gospel is that it brings together people who are different together. The saving purpose of God was a major theme of the Old Testament prophets. And the fact that the Gentiles, as well as the Israelites, were embraced within its scope it was also foreseen. But the manner, the way that would happen, the way that that would come to fruition... That was not yet made known. There was a, there was, there was, it was known that a redeemer was coming, and the Jews might have liked to think that, yeah, it's just for us, but it was for both Jew and Gentile. Non-Jews were, would be included as well, and they would be included on equal footing with all Jews. And here it is Paul's supreme joy, as it is divinely imposed obligation to make known the glorious wealth of this mystery among the Gentiles. How awesome. The rich, glorious secret now is that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It says at the end of verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The book of Colossians is simply focused, it's completely focused on proclaiming the supremacy of Christ. And here we see that truly Christ is supreme. He is truly God incarnate. What is wonderful, though, is that as we read here, we read of the indwelling of Christ. The indwelling of Christ. Think with me back to the old man, your old man, before you became a believer. Think with me about all the times you rejected God. Think with me about all the sin that you committed. You can't even number it. And yet when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees his son. He's paid the price. He indwells within us. Christ's presence among them, among these people in Colossae, was their hope of glory. And that is still true for you and I today. Christ indwelling is our hope of glory we need to make sure that we 
do not neglect to emphasize Christ as the foundation of our hoping. Because Christ himself is our hope. Christ himself is our hope. As Paul is encouraging these Christians to minister, he reveals to them that they are not to keep the gospel to themselves. The Jews wanted to keep it to themselves. No, 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 it's not for the Gentiles, it's just for the Jews. We all realize the, the disputes that were happening between Jew and Gentile. They didn't view each other as equal. But they were to proclaim the gospel so that everywhere might share in the gospel's blessedness. And you know, this is just a wonderful reminder to me that the gospel is not limited. The gospel is not just good enough for a few. The gospel is good for mankind. All the riches of, the, of this glory containing this mystery are not any longer to be confined to one nation, but are so vast as to be told among the Gentiles, even the pagan nations in all the world. This letter here is intended for the Colossians who were Gentiles. The whole blessed mystery is revealed in them. It was once believed that a Gentile could not be saved except by becoming a Jew and adopting the life of a Jew. Um, I kind of laugh about that because growing up, it was kind of like if you, you couldn't really become a Christian unless you wore pants and never wore shorts. You know, you couldn't become a Christian unless you had this certain haircut. You couldn't become a Christian unless you read only this version of the Bible or unless you did this, this, this. It's kind of funny. I look back on that now and I kind of laugh about it because I see a lot of similarities here. So they said, hey, you cannot become a Christian except by becoming a Jew and adopting the lifestyle of a Jew. Something Jewish had to be added. But we need to understand that Christ alone is what secures our salvation. Christ alone secures our salvation. Thankfully, God's divine plan of salvation was accomplished through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Christian, you and I have been called to minister. We've been called to to meet the needs of each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But to do that effectively, we have to have the right attitude, which is, hey, to rejoice in suffering, because if it edifies the brother, that's all that matters. If the church is, is benefited, that's all that matters. If God is giving glory, that's all that matters. And we need to minister effectively with the right message, which is, hey, the gospel includes both Jew and Gentile. Today, as we come to the end of this chapter, look at me, if you will, in verse 28. Minister with the right attitude, minister with the right message, and, but finally, minister with the right purpose. You must minister with the right purpose. Verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see some repetition there? It says every man three different times. That we may warn every man, teach every man, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There is salvation and hope of glory in none other than Jesus Christ. Christian, we are proclaiming, exhorting in every man. We are teaching every man in all wisdom. This describes the manner in which Paul carried out his office as a true apostle. Apostle simply meaning sent one. As a sent one, he came to educate those who listened about the gospel. That was his sole aim. 
Christian, that should be our purpose as well. To truly educate people of the gospel. I mean, I'm just amazed when you read passages in Scripture and Paul's writing to these people and you're like, wow, that must be like his best friend. Oh, wait, he's never met them. And he's, he's, he's serving them and he's reaching out to them and he's trying to really disciple them, edify that, that body. And he's so adamant about it, yet he's never met these people. I'm just amazed by that. You know, if you found one book in the Bible that said that, I'd be amazed. But you find multiple books in the Bible where Paul is just reaching out to people, he's serving people, he's ministering to people, and he's finding great joy in that. That should be our purpose as well, though. Parents, you and I must minister to to your children with the right purpose, which is to aid them in their personal walk with God. Therefore, that they might be presented before God perfect, mature, complete. Thus Paul fulfills the word of God, the publication of the mystery, the substance of which... Is Christ. Our purpose in ministering is to accurately and powerfully present Christ. This Christ, whose life flows in all his people, is the one whom the apostle and all of his associates proclaim. Christ is the sum and the substance of their message, whether in the saving news which they announce in the world to bring men and women to faith, or in the teaching which they impart to those who have believed. I hope we all understand this morning that introducing someone to Christ is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. We've only begun to scratch the surface. You know, it's necessary then to not only preach the gospel, but also when people have believed the gospel, to instruct and teach everyone in all wisdom. Again, I kind of flash back to my childhood where it was, accept the gospel, hope you know everything. Well, how are they supposed to know everything? Hey, accept the gospel. Now, dress like we do, act like we do, because, hey, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, why am I supposed to do that? I don't find you're supposed to wear a white shirt and a tie on Sunday mornings in the Bible. We need to be careful and to show Christ-like love when sharing the gospel. Because, hey, it is wonderful for someone to receive the gospel. But there's so much more. I know we can summarize the gospel in 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 a sentence, but that really doesn't even begin to scratch our understanding of the gospel. This is what being a minister consists of. You know, unfortunately, I'm afraid that we've dropped the ball as Christians when it comes to discipleship. It seems like you either get two flavors of church. You get the flavor where it's, hey, accept the gospel, okay, you're good. Or you get the flavor where it's like, hey, everyone's accepted. And we don't really, we don't really harp on the, on the bad things. We don't really... Share the gospel powerfully. We need balance. Yes, to, to share the gospel with our coworkers. Yes, to share the gospel with our friends. Yes, to share the gospel with our family members. And if they accept, amen. What, what a blessing. But then to take it a step further and say, hey, it doesn't stop here. Many times people view the gospel as simply a get out of hell free card. Well, at least I'm not going to hell. Uh, I remember... Um, I went one time with a with a with a gentleman. We were going door to door, and you know he's he he knocked on the door, and this person answered, and he started like, 
hey, you know, you're a sinner, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you don't want to go to hell, right? Hell's hot. You know, you don't want to do that. Heaven's amazing. Okay. Um, I mean, that's kind of like, hey, you don't want to eat bologna sandwich when there's steak. Okay, yeah, sure, heaven is better than hell, but it's so much more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. We must be willing, as ministers, as those who meet the needs of each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be willing to take the time to disciple others and to minister to them so that they can become effective ministers of Christ as well. We also need to understand something as well. And I'm thankful for this. There is no part of Christian teaching that is to be reserved for a spiritual elite. You and I all have access to God's word. All the truth of God is for all people of God. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that we have great liberty to learn about our God? We're not restricted. The only thing limiting us this morning is just our lack of self-discipline. Paul admonishes every man. He teaches every man in all wisdom. Paul instructs every man in all wisdom that God has revealed. Why does Paul do this? Because it's Paul's purpose to make them or render them complete, perfect, mature in Christ. To be mature spiritually simply means to have a more extensive knowledge of Christ. Paul's goal here, and this may seem too lofty for you and I, this may seem too unattainable for you and I, but Paul's goal here is nothing short of presenting to Christ complete, mature, full-grown Christians. Again, I go back to this, to, to this thought. Parents, isn't that your goal for, for your children? I laughed out loud last week, and um, Chris Anderson said, what if, what if you got up and said, man, I'm such a great parent, my kid's going to live with me till 50. Well, I'm already looking forward to the day when Abraham and Ben head out. You know, love you, but see ya. Um, it just kind of made me laugh out loud about that. Isn't that our goal for our children, parents? To present them mature? Yeah, mature in, in real life situations, but mature spiritually? I mean, if they're getting started at 18, 19, 20 years old, after they've left your house, they're kind of already behind. What a missed opportunity. Spouses, isn't that your goal for each other? I know when you first met, you were perfect, okay? That your spouse was perfect. And just saying, my, my spouse is perfect. Um, but, I don't know. You didn't get married and think, wow, I hope everything stays the same. No, I hope I continue to grow. I hope I continue to, to show love in a more effective way. Even those who might not be married, even those who might not have children, do you desire to help your fellow brothers and sisters grow in Christ? I said a moment ago that we have great liberty. It's not like, oh, you have to be this, this tall, this age to be able to... No, we all have great liberty to, to minister to one another, to meet the needs of someone. doesn't mean we're all meeting the same needs. Maybe it's, hey... See, you're struggling financially. Let me help you out there. Hey, I see you're struggling to understand this passage. Let me help you out there. It's just simply ministering. It's being a servant. It's being willing to set aside your own desires, your own needs, your own wants to help them, to serve them. Paul's means of accomplishing this goal was threefold. 
He would proclaim, he would admonish, he would teach. What an example for you and I to follow and to implement. Paul proclaimed Christ. Christ was the beginning and the end of his message. Uh, George Whitfield once said, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Wow, that's, that's so true. So then what is our excuse when we don't share the gospel? Well, I'm not a really great communicator. Well, just share what the Bible says. When the preaching of Christ brought converts, Paul spent time admonishing everyone, which means that he corrected. He warned them. I mean, there was false teaching that was on, on the rise in Colossae, and he warned them because he cared for them. He admonished them. He said, hey, be careful. Keep an eye out for this. Paul did not shrink from this unpleasant task. And we should not either, church, if we desire to be an effective minister. He spent his time teaching everyone. Paul proclaimed Christ and admonished and taught everyone because he truly believed Christ was for everyone. He saw great potential in every soul he touched. What a way to look at life. What a way to minister. But I will be honest with you this morning. Look with me if you will in verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. God has called you and I to minister, and to minister effectively, yes, we must have the right attitude. Yes, we must have the right uh, message. Yes, we must have the right purpose. But I'm just going to be transparent with you. It will be tiring. It will be difficult. There will be days where you wake up and think, I just can't do it. I don't have time for it. Paul here says he labors, he strives. It's not easy, but it's worth it. In this text, Paul was commissioned to, by God to minister to these Colossian Christians. But you and I have been commissioned as well to serve as an effective minister. You must have the right attitude which is, guess what, joy in the midst of suffering and affliction. Have the right message, which is that God sent Christ to die and pay the price of mankind's sin for both Jew and Gentile. And we must have the right purpose, which is to present everyone perfect and mature in Christ. I'm just going to be honest with you. That is not a common thought out there. Church is what can I get? How can I grow closer? And yes, that should be our desire. But I would encourage you, Look up from your Bible and look down the pew. Think about one another as a brother and sister in Christ and think, how can I serve that person? How can I meet the needs of that person? It doesn't have to be something dramatic, but how can I meet their needs? God desires you to be an effective minister. My question for you today, though, is that your desire? And if it is, what are you doing about it? Father, we come before you today.